Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, have you ever wondered what it was like before you were born, what the process was, how you were able to, you know, do your your soul's blueprint or whatever happens exactly when you're about to be incarnated? Well, well, today on the show, we have Christian Sunberg and he goes into his pre-birth experience, what it was like before, how he was able to put his whole soul blueprint together, choosing the body, choosing his family, choosing the challenges that he's going to face in this world. And I have to tell you, I've done a lot of these episodes and a lot of interviews on this show, but this is by far one of the most profound conversations I've had on the show. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Christian Sundberg. How you doing, Christian? I'm great, sir. How are you? I'm good, my friend. Thank you so much for doing this. We've been trying to get this going for a while now, and I'm so happy that we finally, our schedules matched, and we're here to uh, to talk about your uh, fairly, you know, somewhat unique, uh, entertaining experiences of life. You've lived a boring life so far, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> None of us live boring lives on earth. <laughs> yes, that's very true. That's very, very true. So you have a very, you have a unique um, point of view on your experience. I mean, we've had near-death experiences, we've had uh, other out-of-body experiences, but you had a pre-birth experience, and you're the first person I've ever spoken to who's had a pre-birth experience. So can you explain to the audience what is a pre-birth experience? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So first, let me just say that, um, okay, first of all, I have to disclaim that there is no language to describe any of this. <laughs> uh, we're going <laughs> to do our enough. best. We're going to do our best, but the language of earth is based on our local world and its assumptions and our true nature transcends those assumptions. So fair enough assumptions like, you know, linear time and discrete location, for instance, you know, we, we're actually transcend that this physical context. So I'll, I'll try to make comments, but I just have to disclaim that language vastly falls short. It's like, as soon as we open our mouths, we're just inaccurate, you know, got it. So yeah, my body is 42 years old right now. Um, up until about the age of five or six, I had some pre-birth memory. I remember choosing this life and coming to earth. That and memory left me completely between the ages of six and 30. Before, So yeah. before you continue, what was it like being a, a five, four, five, six-year-old dealing with this kind of information? Because I, I, I barely remember what I was like at four or five, but I know I didn't have the cognitive ability to deal with that kind of information. So how did you deal with uh, it? Yeah, it was very natural. It's the most natural thing in the world, actually. Um, I remember being in a diaper and just barely being able to walk and being aware of what I'll share today. Okay. Um, it seemed very natural and normal. Nobody else talked about it. 
I mean, I, I knew we were, we're not really from here, <clears throat> you know, we're just coming to experience this place and have this human experience and nobody else really talked about it. I didn't talk about it. It's just, I thought everybody knew. <laughs> Fair enough. But nobody enough. else talked about it. Um, right, so, so at, at the six, age of yeah. at six, you lost, at six, you lost the memory. Do you remember yeah. losing this? Memory? No, no. It's just kind of the more I became associated with the human character, mm. uh, the more deeply I became associated with form, you know, with the story, with the objects, with the identity, you know, the, the more distant it became until it was gone. Um, and then I didn't remember it at all. You know, I had no, I didn't even remember that I had remembered, you know, up until the age of 30, when I took up a long-term meditation practice and, uh, much to my surprise, I, I, well, first I began to have non-physical experiences after a few months of out-of-body experiences, very eye-opening, very worldview altering, you know, very, um, in your face, not subtle experiences. And, at the same time, I began to have this, you know, pre-birth memory return. And it was not, it was not strange. It was the most natural thing in the world. It was like there were leaves on the ground and somebody just blew the leaves off of the ground and there's the grass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was not, it was not strange, but it was so real, so much even more real than what I experienced day to day. And these memories both seem incredibly ancient and also like they're happening right now like they feel like they're millions of years ago but they're also alive right in this moment i don't know how to describe that it's not like an earthly memory and i sh i shared it with a couple people and they seemed to say oh wow that's pretty extraordinary it, it didn't even occur to me that it was <laughs> extraordinary i didn't share it for eight years or so because you know i'm a working professional it's not the kind of thing you talk about you know you don't you know it's just you don't clears care a, about that kind of stuff it clears a room, doesn't it? It clears the room pretty quick, you know, <laughs> plus, and then it, anyway, so it's not going to be well received by various groups, you know, including like maybe conservatively minded folks. And so I just didn't share it, but I felt, uh, I felt compelled to share. And about four years ago, I just got this intuitive nudge, like that the ground is fertile now. It's just like the ground is just fertile enough now that there is benefit to sharing this. So I did, I shared um, with Mira Kelly, who happened to be Wayne Dyer's past life regressionist. So she was familiar with this content. And after I shared it, I thought, okay, I got it off my chest. I'll never, never have to talk about it again. But it, it took off. It became very well um, responded to. I met so many people that have had similar experiences. I've probably met probably 40 or so other pre-birth experiencers by now. So I'm definitely not alone. And what's really interesting is when uh, those people are able to reach out to me and say, I have the same memory of the same place or the same experience pre-life. And I just think that's so amazing because I can feel the vibrational distance between there and here. And if we can come all the way down here to the earth experience and meet here on these topics and like make that connection, it's, it's just so cool. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really um, amazing energetic thing to do. Um, yeah. So, and then I, I published a book, A Walk in the Physical I spent about six years uh, writing it with the help of spirit. Really, I received intuitive chunks at a time. Um, I never felt like I sat down and wrote it myself. I felt like I was being guided throughout that process. And I felt like a, a bone level uh, accomplishment when I finally pressed the publish button and put it out in the world. You know, it's available for, uh, for free on my website. It's not about money. I just, I just want to share the information. I'm very passionate about who we really are, you know, and what this human experience really is. And uh, it, it's very exciting to me to share that because the, the actual truth, like the real concrete truth of the spiritual context in which we exist is wonderful. <laughs> it's so amazing and full of love and joy and vibrance and freedom. And 
I'm very passionate about sharing that because we live in a world that is often less so. Mm. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of fear. So anyway, uh, just some comments about you know, how that emerged. <laughs> so, okay. So when you started your meditative practice and you had this kind of awakening, yeah. what were the memories that came came back to you? What, can you talk a little bit about the pre-birth yeah. experience? Yeah, sure. Okay. So I'll try to go in order, but again, there is sequence to these memories, but it's also beyond what we would call linear sequence. So it's difficult to describe. Okay. So I remember long, long ago, before I had ever been physical at all, had any physical incarnations coming across a being who had been physical. And I could feel from this being the quality of his, his nature, his essence, uh, this is very hard to describe, but in those systems, we sh we share telepathically. Everything's telepathic. We just have a constant sharing of feeling and information and knowing. It, you know, it's not like here we have to throw clunky words at each other. There, you can actually feel the other being as a part of you, and the environment is part of you. You're you know you're connected to all things, and I felt from him this amazing joy and and power, and I asked him, my goodness, what could you possibly have done to be this? And do you feel as much joy and power as I feel that you feel? And he shared yes. And he shared with me this huge amount of uh, information and feeling and context. And one of the main things he shared with me is that he had lived a physical life. Well, he had lived many lives, but one in particular that he shared was a, a time that he had suffered physically from a long-term chronic health condition. And it was very painful. But the way that he chose to meet that experience to, um, this is so hard to describe, the quality of the intention that he brought into that experience allowed a refinement of his, his being. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And it was so beautiful and so full of power. And I said, I want to do that. I want to do that. I'm going to do that, <laughs> which is very like, very inspired. And Where do persistent. I sign up? Where do I sign Where up? Where do I sign up? Yeah, exactly. And he said, kind of playfully, like, yeah, that's what they all say. Like, you don't know how hard it is. You don't, you don't know. You just don't know how difficult it is. And I said, no, I, I mean it. I want to do this. And he said, well, go talk to your guides. So I don't have right after that, but I know I lived many times. And then I found this being later and shared with him that I was, on this path and he was encouraging, encouraging for the path. Okay. So, but the majority of the pre-birth memory that I have is of a time somewhat immediately preceding this life where I had, so I had taken a long break after being physical. And I remember this guide coming to me over and over again and asking, are you every once in a while, are you ready to go back yet? Are you ready to go back yet? And just putting him off and be like, no, I'm not ready yet. No, I'm not ready yet. And finally saying, okay, I'm ready. Uh, like basically reminding me of my own intention uh, to do this. And so okay, I said, okay, I'm ready. So then I remember with this guide reviewing what I can only describe as my state, like who I am, who I've been, who I was. This is, it's very hard to articulate this. It, it's like a, um, like a, uh, I don't know how you would describe it, like a graph with Many, this is super crude metaphor, but like a graph with many different qualities and you could even say virtues or something, you know, just areas of, of knowing of experiential evolution that you knew 
more or less, something like that. And there was this one area that was just blatantly obvious that I needed to work on. I don't want to say need to work on because we don't have to. It's not about need. We choose to do this. But there was this one area that it was like, oh, wow, I I really should do something about that. And it was <laughs> this really deep fear. Uh, and it was a fear that had bested me in a previous experience. And in that previous experience, I had turned into something of an egoic monster because of this fear. And I had damaged many other people through the fear because fear is at the root of ego. You know, when we act out of ego, it's, it's because we're, there's some fear down there that we haven't processed something we haven't come to terms with. So this fear was very overwhelming. And I, I remember asking, is it even possible? It, like, has any other being in creation ever dealt with a fear that's this low vibration in this specific way? Because it was like a very specifically angled vibration. I, I don't know how to describe this, but a very specific fear vibration. And I knew even from that point of view, it, it was very low vibration. And I remember the being saying to me, yes. And in fact, you have all time available to you to do so. There's no hurry. And I just knew, and this is how strange to me as the human, you know, because it, it from this point of view, I know how difficult it has been and can be. But I just, I said, I, I said, if it can be done, I'll do it. Like I, I just knew because I knew the depth of my being and the depth of what we all are, the unconquerable life that we are. And so, so then they brought me a life a physical life that was appropriate for this intention of meeting this fear. And it wasn't this lifetime. It was one just before this. And I reviewed that life and I accepted that life. <clears throat> and then I remember accepting the veil. Okay. So the veil is just a term. It's just a metaphor, but it means the constraints that go along with being physical and having an incarnative experience. That is the limitation of knowledge, having your memory cut off, and having your connectedness disappear. And it felt to me like the best way I can describe this is the metaphor of like uh, a sound amplifier that produces a pitch. Like you start at a very high vibration, like, and then you turn down the knob. And then when you get to the bottom, you turn it down some more and then more, 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 and then more, and then crank it down some more and then crank it down some more. That's how it felt in the body of my awareness to plummet down, 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 lower, 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 lower into the vibrational place of being physical in the womb. And once I arrived, I was like, I am not doing this. There is no way I'm going to tolerate a lifetime of this. This is so dark. This is such low vibration. I, I had so much fear immediately that, that came up. And so I mustered by might, you know, and I, I smoked the veil. I fought my way out and I was successful at doing that. But I realized that I had killed the fetus that was to be my body and I had ended the life. And I had a life review, just like near-death experiencers describe, even though I had never physically been born, I was, I was responsible for how I had affected the mother and not only the mother, but hundreds of other people who were affected by the mother because of my fear. You know, and I had, I had all these great intentions going in, but I could just, I could see very objectively, wow, I have a lot of fear. Mm. <laughs> I, I got to do something about this. So like, like from that point of view, you know, everything is okay. It's just, it's just a play, you know, it's a big, it's a big play, but still I could just see like, oh, wow, you know, I really need to grow in this way. So I spent some time 
practicing surrendering to the veil in a a place that I can only describe as a veil acceptance simulator. It was like going to a room where they dunk you under the water of a dark pool and they push you under. This is just a metaphor, but it's kind of close. It's like being pushed underwater in a pool and then you can you stay under there and see how long you can like hold your breath and then you cry uncle and they'll let you out because it's just a simulator. Whereas in the real veil, you know, you can't cry uncle. You have to let it sink in all the way. So I remember practicing and then, but I still wanted to do this, um, this intention of meeting this fear. So they brought me this life, uh, this life now as Christian. And I remember reviewing this life in incredible detail. And I knew that this life was not as appropriate as the first one would have been. Um, like, you know, you can't put numbers on it, but if I just, I know we like numbers and duality. So like, if I just, just being crude about it, the first one, if it was like a 98 or 99% good match, this one was like 87 or something, <laughs> you know, okay. I, I don't know. It just, it was good and it was good, but it wasn't as perfect as the first one, but it was still very good. Real quick. I don't mean to stop. Yeah. You said you reviewed this life in detail. Do you mean that you yeah. were able to see Christian from beginning to end? of what you were going to experience and how this quote unquote game or play or movie was going to play out and what it would do for you in your growth as a, as a, as a soul. Yes, but it was not a, so it was, a, it was like a probability tree, right? So it was like, if you took a tree and laid it on its side and started at the trunk and then worked your way out to the branches, it was like that. It was like, I started at a, point of context and i knew that my choices and the choices of every other player in the game would be influencing each other and it would nudge certain paths to happen and there were some that were more likely or less likely and i knew that it was very likely that i would suffer a trauma in my 20s because of this biology i knew that this body has biological limitations that other bodies don't and i knew that that would help facilitate among other things, <clears throat> this um, trauma that would befall me in my 20s. And that and that trauma would give me the chance to be crushed and to re-experience this fear. And I say chance because from that point of view, it was mm. seen as an opportunity. You know, like like from here, the, the victim, the you know, the ego rises up right away and says, oh no, I'm not, I would never sign up for this. I'm not okay with this. But from that point of view, I knew that the incredible, incredible opportunity that was being handed to me in the in the chance to re-experience this fear and to and to meet it and to try to integrate it and heal through it oh my gosh the the amount of profound personal growth and even the growth of all that is that was possible through that was breathtakingly huge but anyway to your question yeah so i reviewed what it would be like to be me in these various branches like it was, there were events in it, but it was less about events and more about what it would feel like to be me, to be exactly me in this, in this circumstance or at this age. I remember reviewing it in terms of ages. <clears throat> I remember being aware of one certain potential exit point as an example that hasn't arrived yet. Um, I remember reviewing qualities about the life and then making requests like, um, for instance, I remember asking if I could be intelligent again because I knew that I had been intelligent in the last few lives and it was a trait that I preferred and I didn't want to you know, experience a life without that quality. And they said, yes, you can do that. And I knew that certain qualities of my parents would be very important. Like for instance, I knew that my father would instill confidence in me and that that confidence would be paramount for me to have like a rock to stand on to meet this fear. 
Um, you know, and that was something that my father did for, did for me, you know, he was very accepting and, and always, you know, lifted me up and gave me that confidence. Not only my father, my mother, my, my grandparents, um, you know, that was not an area I, I needed to be challenged in this time. I needed, I needed the confidence to meet this fear. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I also remember asking, <clears throat> and excuse my hoarseness, by the way, my wife, as I mentioned, my wife has COVID and I'm a bit under the weather right now. Sure. So um, I remember asking, um, can I, is, I don't want to forget everything this time. I want to just have a, can I just have a small, tiny bit of memory? And they said, yes, you can do that, but it will make the journey more difficult. And I knew why I could feel it was because the contrast here would be even greater to have some recollection of there, of that higher vibrational state of being and still be here is such a pronounced contrast that having even a glimmer of that conscious knowledge added to contrast. But see, I knew even that contrast, like all contrast, was an opportunity for growth. <laughs> so I accepted. And, um, and I, I remember there having to be a moment to say yes, to actually accept the life. I don't remember that moment, but I do remember being in like a waiting area and then this guide coming to me and then just suddenly grabbing my attention, like go now, like very abrupt, like almost rude, not rude, but like grabbing me by the shoulders, like earth time, buddy, like not, not later right now. And being like, okay, now, and then like locking into that and then being in this how do I describe this? It's like, I, I've described it like a technician's chamber or an, or like a mechanic shop that was over the earth. I could see a shaft below me with the earth below. And there were these beings there who are very technical in nature. And they are very, very skilled at matching the veil to you, to the individual. Because like the individual soul has so many rich qualities and the life and the body and the circumstances have their own energetic thing going on. And they, they like, I don't know, they make everything fit. They make everything jive. You know, they, they're able to make this organic connection work. It's like the veil is like an organic blanket or something. And they're able to fine tune that. And I remember then being over this pit and them asking me one last time, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? Because I knew once I said yes here, I was strapped in for the ride. It's like getting in a roller coaster, you know, once you strap in, you can't get out till the, <laughs> till the ride's done. It was a little bit like that. And I remember saying, yeah, I'm ready. And then again, this huge plummet in vibration down, 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 lower, 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 lower. And having all of my knowing disappear and all my connectedness disappear and, and all my memory just not there anymore. And then coming down into this vibrational point that I can only describe like arriving to the vacuum of space, like a place that had no heat. There's like nothing there, but also simultaneously very, very dense. Like the body was like being shoved inside of a tiny tuna can and simultaneously cold and empty. It, it was, it's so hard to describe. And this time I just focused on not fighting it. You know, just like, okay, because I remembered the time before when I had rejected it and ended the life. So I just let the veil do what it would do to me. And I surrendered to it. I just surrendered to the veil. And eventually, 
from the point of being in the body, I remember sending one message back to the technicians. Did it take? And them sending one message back. Yes, it took. And then I felt really accomplished actually, because I, because even the act of making it to the physical is quite an accomplishment because it's such a vibrationally different place. So then I was there for a while. And then eventually I said, you know what? I am not doing this. There is no way I'm going to tolerate a lifetime of this. I am not doing it. And my fear began to rise up again. And so once again, I began to summon my might to fight my way out. And as I did that, the most holy moment in my entire human life happened. The great spirit of God, what we call God, it's beyond all language, the great I am of all things source came to me and expanded me back out. And I felt all the universe within me. I felt our sun, the sun of earth churning within me. I felt its life. I felt its consciousness and its bliss, this deep raging bliss of the sun within me. And God said to me, this is still what you are. You can never not be this. It's the most holy moment for me in this life because that's what we all are. And it's like the most sensitive personal experience. But after that, I, I was so relieved. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't lose everything that I am, you know, because I felt like I had lost all that I am. And so I, so I stopped fighting and I returned to being in the body and not fighting and just to surrender to the simple existence of being in the womb, you know? And the next memory I have is what seemed like a long time later being born physically. I remember the shock, the cold, the light. I remember having no idea what was going on and just looking up at these beings who were taking care of me, the nurses in the room. And being like, who are these beings? Like, I had no idea what was happening, but it was intense. I was so curious. I remember just being intensely curious. And it's funny because when I mentioned this memory to my father, he said, that's exactly what you look like. He said, you, you had these wide open eyes for a little baby and you were looking around at everything with such curiosity. I remember that. I remember just being so curious. And I know they say that babies can't see you know, certain, certain distance. I don't understand how I remember this, but I do remember seeing the room. And later in my life, I drew the room from my mother. And I said, you were here, here was the bed, here was the heating grate, here was the window, the doctor was standing here. And, you know, she confirmed that that was how the room was laid out. Um, but anyway, so after that, I, I don't have memory for quite a while, you know, until I was older. Um, but I used to have assumptions about this life that I thought would apply because of the time I had been in the higher realities, because I assumed qualities of our true nature that were true there would apply here. That's so uh, for, Yeah. Not, well, there's a lot that's different on earth. <laughs> like I remember assuming that we would be able to feel each other's emotions here. That turns out not to be the case much of the time. I remember assuming that anyone in a position of leadership or authority would be loving and wise. And that's not always the case on earth, you know, especially the larger, especially the higher up. I figured the higher up you were in society, you must be even more loving and wise uh, because in higher systems, love and wisdom is the power, you know? So beings who are in positions of authority with air quotes, uh, you know, they're loving and wise. Uh, that's not always the case on earth. 
Not so much, my friend. Not yeah. uh, not so much if we if we look at our world today. No, it doesn't. It's almost the oddity when you find someone who's good and and wise uh, at that level of of leadership. Um, your story is fascinating, man. It really, really is. I have I have a few. I have a, I have a handful of questions. Um, when you during this whole process, well, first of all, do you remember any other physical incarnations? Do you remember like any past lives? I have some snippet memories from other certain experiences. I remember being a, a woman who had given birth and having being pregnant a second time. And the fear that I've experienced in this life, I experienced as that woman because I was afraid of the pain of having to give childbirth a second time. Uh, that's just an example. Mm-hmm. So I have some some short, you know, brief memories like that, not too much. You know, like sometimes when I'm curious, I try to reach out to that and I just get this gentle, like, no, you don't need to know that. And I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> you know, I respect, so you, I respect so you, the veil is I'm still veiled. <laughs> I'm very much still. So, veiled. so you're not, you weren't Alexander the great or someone like that. Cause everyone know, always no. is, fa- they're very famous in their past lives. Always oh, no, no, yeah, no, no. Francis of Assisi, you know, no, just <laughs> no, I, no. <laughs> okay. So, um, when you when you lost your memories, I'm assuming you lived life, went down the road. I read yeah. somewhere that you were working in a nuclear in the nuclear industry somewhere, and yep. you were you spiritual at this point? Yeah, I think I've always been spiritual, but for the majority of my adult life, early adult life at least, it was through a Lutheran Christian context, mm-hmm. and um, you know, part of my awakening process was a deconstruction of up and up what until that point had been you know my religious beliefs um it i was i had to be humble enough to recognize that i had certain key ideas wrong but i was mm-hmm. always seeking you know and it was it was that seeking that led me initially to the work of the physicist and consciousness explorer tom campbell and oh, yeah. it was one sentence he said in one of his videos actually that sent me down this whole path we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor And now back to the show. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm very grateful to Tom. His book and his teachings helped a lot. The biggest thing he said was go meditate, go find out for yourself, go see what you are, what your awareness is beneath thoughts, not the thoughts, not the stories, not the sensations. Go investigate very objectively what your awareness is. And I love that advice. I feel like I found so much through that. There are so many answers that are available to us through our true nature, you know, beneath the human thinking that seems to be so important to us every day. So when you started to get these memories back, how did you handle the the, the rush of knowledge uh, and understanding? I mean, I'm uh, assuming it was jarring at that, at that late, because as we get older, we, it, we become more, it's not, we're not as manual uh, in our thought patterns. It's yeah, a little actually- bit harder. I understand what you're why you're asking that, but actually, I think in my case, it was a state of awareness that changed first, mm-hmm. and then the memories were then natural. You know, as I grew more and more in awareness of what I really am, which is my awareness itself, consciousness itself, and less associated with the thinking and and those firm identity thoughts that seem to make us up, that was first, and then once that was where I was larger aspects of myself began to rise up all on their own. So for me, it actually was not shocking. It was the more normal 
thing. <laughs> yeah. And when did you when did you decide to uh, come out of the closet, as they say, uh, yeah. <laughs> with this information? Because, like, like I you said, said yeah. <laughs> it clears a room. <laughs> yeah, it does clear a room. Now, I, I think about four and a half years ago or so, um, I decided to share. I felt intuitively nudged to do it. And um, I, after I shared the first time, I remember going for a walk and feeling relieved that I'd shared it, but I also felt this energetic shift in the like branches. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? That's interesting. Um, it's a very personal story, you know? And it's like, I'm a normal guy. I don't consider myself special in any way. And I, I live a, a normal, you know, relatively normal American human life. Uh, so sharing did take some courage, especially because in my case, my wife's parents are very conservative and it did cause quite a social uh, difficulty, you know, for us with me sharing. This. Thanksgiving dinner was rough is what you're saying. Basically. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. but on the other hand, what are we afraid of? Right. You know, our true nature is what it is. I, I, I couldn't not share. In fact, when it first came back to me, I remember <laughs> this sounds so silly to me now, but I remember saying to my wife, I'm going to create, flyers and I'm going to go and put them in people's mailboxes. And I want to tell people you are a multidimensional being having a human experience and there's nothing to fear. And she's like, if you do that, you're going to be that guy. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be that guy. So I didn't do that because that would make me that guy. And you know, that's not the way to reach people, I guess. But, but I was very excited is what I'm, what I'm saying. Like when I realized this, like when I had out of body experiences, I mean, it's, it's so eye-opening. You just want to go up to people and say, you don't need to be afraid. You are a multidimensional being having a human experience. This whole thing is like a play that we're, we've created for fun and for expansion and for creativity. There's nothing ultimately to fear. And when because when we know that, when we know who we really are, man, we can live lives of joy and we can shine that joy to each other. We can be free here on earth. We can actualize our true loving nature in the earth context, that's what, that's what it's all about. You know, it's not all about moving objects and buying the things and making the big empires. No, it's, it's the acts of love. It's the quality of intention that we bring into even the smallest moments, you know, like even how we pet a dog or smile at someone in the store or whatever, Th those things that, that genuine love and that genuine joy that we bring into earth in the, even the smallest context, that's what matters. The context itself is kind of like a big illusion, but, but we, our spirit, our consciousness, we, we're real, we're in, we endure. We are this, like the substance of what really is and our intent, our ability to choose something is our primary power. It transcends the physical. It transcends. It, it it operates through any reality system that we engage. So if we can evolve the quality of our intention towards love and past fear, that is lasting growth. That's lasting power and expansion that remains with us far past the end of these extreme limitations of this earthly experience. So it's very much like, and I've said this on the show before. It's very much like playing a video game where the higher self, the soul, is the player. And then we are Zelda uh, yes. and, and we're running around <laughs> and we as players on the, uh, at the uh, beyond the veil, we're like, oh yeah, let's go down that road. He needs experience points in order to defeat the next <laughs> yes. level. 
And it's not going to be easy, and we don't want to go do that, but he's going to probably die a couple of times beating up these ogres because he needs the experience level <laughs> yes. to be able to we move grind. on. The, to, grind. To, <laughs> the grind, right. So you have to and keep doing it. So us up top, we're like, this is, you know, this is work we got to do. This is, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I'm assuming for Zelda, it's terrifying. <laughs> so, yeah, no, so that's a, so I want to just make a comment here because that, so I understand that from the human perspective, it feels like we're just Zelda. And then there must be some higher soul we're a part of that's making these big old decisions. And here we are just stuck in the rat race. <laughs> to, a, to a certain extent. I mean, yeah, yeah I just want Yeah. I, yeah. So I'm just, I just want to. There's a connection well, still. Oh, and there's more. Yeah. So it's more than just a connection. I just, this is important. The, mm-hmm. the higher self is you. Right. Like, like the you that feels like you to you, the you that's making the decisions, the you that lifts your hand that's is you. your higher self. It's right. You. That's the right. same you that's going to be here after the body is gone. So right. sometimes we want to play Zelda without a sword. Right. <laughs> you know, if we beat you're, the game. You, you and I are of similar vintage that you know Contra. <laughs> you remember Contra, oh, I know, right? I, up, up, Re- down, down, left, right, up, left, left, right. B, B- A, select, start. start. I remember How that, many yeah. times did you beat that game with the cheat code where you had all the power and all the guns and you would fly through the game? I remember at a certain point, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm going to play this like one eye open because I knew the game so well that I needed to challenge myself constantly. Exactly. And I would play the game again. Like I want to, I can't play. I'm only going to lose. I can't lose one life. I have to do the entire thing <laughs> yeah. without losing a life. If I lose a life, I start again. I'm not even going to. So I would challenge myself constantly because we had the secret code. So it's in exactly. a very, very similar way what we're doing. Here. It is like that. So you could say metaphorically, some of the higher, less constraining reality systems are like playing Contra with the cheat code on. So you have unlimited right. lives and you can't fail. But then when you really want to play and you really want to try to do it without the cheat code, guess what? You find out you're not as good as you thought you were. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> it's know, a lot easier when, when you, you have die like five minutes in. <laughs> yeah, when you have the big sword and you know where everything is, but all of a sudden the sword's gone in your hand-to-hand combat. It's not so easy anymore with the exactly. ogres coming out at you. <laughs> and that's how it is with Earth. So here we are, maybe with a broken body. Yeah. Or maybe with a circumstance where you were not given the love, the nurturing that you needed to grow right. psych, psych, you know, um, psychologically well. Or maybe you have some context in your society that is very challenging. Maybe it's a war-torn context. Mm-hmm. There, there's so many rich, rigorous contexts on Earth. But what's really important to understand is the contrast that Earth makes available is the tool. Like we transcend the contrast we are non-dual you could say you know we 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 transcend all the ups and downs of earth but we use it we use the contrast and through it we can refine and expand who and what we really are that expansion is incredibly valuable and powerful and not every being wants to play contra without the uh, cheat code but the beings who want to try <laughs> You could say not everybody wants to climb Mount Everest, but there are those who go climb Mount Everest. And then when they get there, they're like, oh my gosh, it's cold. There's no oxygen up here. That's that's correct. (laughs) That is the nature sometimes of the human experience. Right. It's cold. There may not be any oxygen, whatever that metaphor might mean in your life. The question isn't whether or not it's cold. The question is what you do with it. The question is now, how do you meet this moment? Can you meet this moment with love rather than fear? Whatever that means, all the things that love can mean, humility, compassion, 
gentleness, even with yourself, strength, you know, perseverance, all the things that love can mean rather than fear and all the protections of the ego. Can you do that even in your context? That's the name of the game. And it is an incredible opportunity. It's not some, you know, masochistic exercise. It is a gift. Being human is like being given a winning lottery ticket. And now that you're here, you get to decide what to do. <laughs> it's amazing. So, th so then let me ask you that question. How are souls chosen? I'm assuming there are a limited amount of souls, though they keep growing. I mean, our population keeps growing. Well, there's a limited amount of avatars. Yeah, yeah. there's a limited amount of Zeldas out there that yep. we can play this game with. So how are souls chosen for this experience? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, so what I can... So what I do remember, I mean, I, I certainly can't speak to the full depth of that that question. Sure. But I can say at least two things. First of all, the soul has to be interested <laughs> because <laughs> we are, so we're totally free-willed beings. Like, I mean, it sounds silly, but there are many beings who are not going to decide to like come to this level of separation. Like this is like going into outer space. You know, no one wants, not everybody wants to go into outer space. Why would you want to do that? That's crazy. Why, why would I want to feel this separate from everybody else? Well, it's like, it's like right now, Mars, like there's a big talk about Mars and like, who's going to go to Mars and in our lifetime, humans will probably go to Mars. And you asked, you asked the question, you're like, some guys and gals are like, I want to be first in line yeah, and, the exactly. and the rest of us, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I, no, I don't need no, that experience. No, thank you. I don't need to skydive. I'm solid. Like in my, exactly. in my, in my yeah. life experience right now, but others, I need to do it every day. So it's just different perspectives. You got so, it. No, you got it. And it's very much like that when it comes to physical incarnation. It's like skydiving. <laughs> um, not everybody is going to want to skydive. Right. Okay. So the first thing is they have to want to skydive. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is there has to be a level of proficiency. And what I, what I mean is we have lots of experience as souls. It's not just the physical. It's not like there's physical and then one other reality and that's it. There are countless reality systems, many with rules that are very, very different from our earth experience and for different purposes. And as souls, we engage all sorts of different experiences. And so in order to play a human, you have to have a certain level of, uh, the, the, the language is very lacking here, but soul proficiency, you know, you need to be ready, so to speak, to engage a context that's this rigorous. And yeah. so then the guides are very adept at matching because they they know the uh, the goal of the game, so to speak, and they understand us very well because they're very evolved, very loving, very wise, and so they are very good at like going through the database. You could say, you know, you might think of it like putting in a search, a Google search or something. Like they put in parameters, and this is just a metaphor. They put in the parameters of you and your intentions and what you're looking for. They get back some results. They review the results. And then they take some to you and ask you, but what do you think about these? Some people are given multiple lives to choose from. In my case, it was just, they brought me one and then they brought me one because my intention was very specific. Other beings may have much less specificity with their intention for incarnation. And it's just like, give me what I can, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll take any slot. I just want to, I just want to get in. I just want to get in. I just want to get in and get some experience. Um, Put me in coach. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So uh, there was, I've heard from other, uh, from near death experiencers uh, and other, other spiritually, you know, evolved people that I've spoken to on the show that there are 
lifetimes that are called either vacation lifetimes or just like, hey, you know what? In this life, I, I've really had it the last two or three lives have been pretty rough. I wouldn't just, I would, I'd, let, let me just do this lifetime where I have a body that can absorb as many drugs and, and alcohol as humanly possible. I'd like okay. to be rich. I'd like to have, you know, be able to do this and that. I just want to enjoy myself. Let's see what happens. And that's a lifetime because, you know, you and I both know in the press, there's constantly these people who have these lives uh, that put it out there. So have you, do you understand that? Does that make sense? And by the way, that's just one vacation. That's one avatar who wants to do a lot of drugs and, and wants to drink and, and yeah. be able to do it. There are other ones as well, but I'm just curious, have you, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, I didn't review that specifically in my pre-birth experience, but I do feel that we sign up for certain kinds of experiences and relaxing experiences may, may occur. Um, I'm reminded of one of the Seth Seth Speaks uh, comments. He he says something like, while they're typically very busy and active as souls, they might take a break by incarnating as a very simple life form for a while to just exist. And um, so I don't have firsthand experience with that, um, but I feel intuitively that that's probably correct, you know, that we can sign up for vacation type experiences. That being said, like you said, it's not the context itself that makes a life <laughs> a vacation. We right. can act, it's actually that the quality of our being that enables within a given level of constraint us to have, you know, um, a more loving expression of joy or not. So yes, we might sign up for less constraining lifetimes, depending. Well, yeah. Like if you, if you sign up to be a fisherman in, in Fiji and you never leave the Island and your entire life is about fishing, spending time with your family, living in paradise, not a rich person by any stretch of the imagination, but when you wake up in the morning, every day, you, wake up and you're in Fiji, <laughs> that might be a lifetime. And that's a simple life in many ways. So yeah, it's Could not be. that Fiji, it's not that Fiji is charged. It, we actually apply the meaning to all the contexts, including Fiji. Fiji has very nice colors and temperatures mm -hmm. by comparison to some other places on earth, mm -hmm. but we always apply the meaning to our lives. So I'm just, I'm just pointing that out because a vacation life is not specific to a location or even a, right. you know, an occupation. No. It's, it's, it's the quality of being we bring into it and the meaning that we put onto a given context. And right. now I'll just also just say this, like in, from my perspective, mm -hmm. Uh, I suspect that when I'd like to rest, it's not going to be through an, an incarnation. There are ways to exist that are much less constraining. <laughs> so, you know, it's not just that there's physical and that's your only option. There are many other reality systems um, and states of being. But this is the, us. but this is the densest. To, yes, this is. So this is the, I remember, uh, okay. I don't know if you want to go down this Avenue, but I remember sure. knowing <clears throat> I know this is going to sound really woohoo, but I remember being aware as this universe was going to be created and knowing that there was this intention being issued forth from source, but through us all, we were all involved to take this to the next level, like the next density, the, well, the new lowest density uh, experience. And it, it, we were full of so much excitement at it. So it's like this, there's like this huge in-breath and out-breathing of universes, you could say. And there's like this beautiful pause between, this is very hard to describe, but there's these moments that there's a pause and then, okay, now we're going to take this to the next level. And there was so much excitement to be able to be this dense, <laughs> to have this extreme level of engagement and contrast, because then the opportunity for expansion is that much more too. It's a heavier way to lift. 
Exactly. It's a heavier weight to lift. You're going to, you're going to grow. Your muscles are going to grow much faster if you're lifting heavier exactly. weights. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's a great metaphor that it's like, why would you ever lay down on the weight bench and lift a hundred pounds instead of 20? You know, that that's a good metaphor for why would you, I mean, it's got, certainly has limited, the metaphor certainly has limits, <laughs> but it's not a bad metaphor for why we would sign up for challenging contexts. Right. Um, exactly. There, there are, there are profound opportunities in the context, even if from the human point of view, they seem very difficult. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, without question. Now, this is a concept I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I've heard others speak about this of the, I forgot who it was who used this analogy, but it was kind of like dealing a deck of cards where you as the higher self, the soul is the, um, the dealer, if you will. And each card is a life. And you could have multiple lifetimes at the same time, but all still connected to the player in the game. Because from my understanding, even from studying spiritual texts, that the higher self, the soul, can do multiple things at the same time. At the same if we, time, yeah. If we can't, then Jesus has a lot of people on near-death experience. Because Jesus is always working on near-death experiences. He's a, he's a he's a hardest working man up there, I tell you. And <laughs> so if he can't do that at the same time, he's got other doppelgangers working for him. So I'm assuming that beings can do multiple things at the same time, be at multiple yes. places at the same time. So what are your thoughts of us being able to experience multiple lifetimes at the same time? Yes. Yeah. So all linear time is a creation. It's not right. fundamental. Right. It's, it's a way of experiencing. Okay. So that that's an important way to approach linear time because we we tend to think of linear time as like a fundamental you know part of reality <laughs> right but actually it what's happening is not the physical universe what's happening is your experience of the physical universe and that experience takes place in sequence okay but to the higher self the higher self transcends that linear time sequence and so from our perspective we could say that all is happening in one now now these this language is very limiting and and it's very difficult to speak to you from here because again we're coming from the the very perspective of define linear time <laughs> like we are at the extreme point looking back saying what do you mean everything's happening all at once uh from the soul vantage point i can at least say there's like higher time and there is sequence that takes place but it's all within the one now uh that's that's the only way i can that's the only way I can probably speak to that. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So it's possible. In other words, it's, yeah. there's a possibility of it. Yeah. In our metaphor of playing a video game, you, you can play more than one video game at once. There's no reason you can't play Zelda and Contra at the same time. Right, exactly. Though it'd be challenging for us. Uh, for here. us, it would be challenging. <laughs> but for the higher self, it's not challenging. Like in my pre-birth experience, when I reviewed all the possibilities of this life, I reviewed millions and millions of possibilities in seconds. You know, it was not before. hard. The, the bandwidth is ridiculously wide. <laughs> it's an, it's it infinite. Way. It's infinite almost. It's, <laughs> it's almost infinite. You know, it's I don't know. I don't know what to put words on. It's it's huge. So that's the that's what the soul, you know, is working with. It's not like this. You could think of the human as like a subset of the soul, and this subset is bound into linear time, but the soul isn't. Right. 
Exactly. Um, what is your understanding of soul groups? Yeah, so I'm aware that soul groups exist. I don't have too much specific knowledge about them, but I have had times in my life when I've come across individuals who I felt were a part of my group. Um, it depends. People have different meanings for soul group. The the way I'm using the term is not multiple characters of one soul. I'm talking about multiple souls that are of one vibrational affiliation or something. So I do feel that they exist and that they perform similar um, work, you could say. Like as souls, we have certain, oh, the language is so bad, certain qualities or capabilities that are unique to us. Like each one of us is like a vibrational universe. And that vibrational universe has many colors and sounds and qualities and and aspects. It's very hard to describe. So I feel that souls that are of a similar ah, bend or intention uh, work together and congregate because in higher systems, geography is vibrational. It's not physical. Physical, ge- ge- physical geography may occur in reality systems, but we tend to relate to those that we are vibrationally resonant with. Earth is the place where you can shove two people in a room and they don't resonate, and now you get to be stuck with them. <laughs> oh, yes. Hot- <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, my friend. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes that I've, happen. I've, had, I've had that happen a couple times in my life. I'm <laughs> just sure. A couple. I'm sure. Just we, a couple. We all have experienced that. <laughs> but in higher systems, like I'll just give a very brief example. One time I was out of body and I was doing something. And then this woman came to me who I know physically in my city, her and I were in a mediumship circle together and she got my attention. She's like, Hey, it's, it's Mary. And, she, and we're telepathically exchanging. She's like, I want, we're going to go to this other place. And I was like, no, I'm going over here. I'll see you later. And I just zoomed off and did my thing at this. I want to try to describe it. It was an energetic work that I was going to do. So there was no like pretense. There's no social pretense. It's like, no, I'm doing this. But two weeks later, when I saw her in person, when she opened her front door to me on earth, she said, you blew me off. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't believe she remembered it. I was like, I did. I can't believe you remember that. I did blow you off. I'm sorry. Like from the human standpoint, you have to say you're sorry. But from the energetic standpoint, it's okay. Everybody is exactly who they are. It's okay if you resonate with that over there and I resonate with this over here. That's great. You're, you're who you are. I'm who I am. And so that vibrational, like, you know, you follow <laughs> your intention where it wishes to go. You don't like sit there and make yourself you know, you don't force proximity like you might do because of social convention on earth. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Now, this is a question I get asked all the time because, you know, if I, on the show, we've talked about reincarnation, about past lives, about near-death experiences, things like that. Um, many of these ideas are thousands and thousands and thousands. Some of the oldest ideas, pre-religion, pre-organized yeah. religion even. Um, but people always have this one question, like, why do we forget why is yeah. it necessary for us not to remember these quote unquote past lives? I always say you can barely deal with the life you have. Can you imagine having yeah. the memory of like four or five other lives where there's trauma and there's yeah. pain and there's suffering? How do you think psychologically you could deal with it? But I'd love to hear your point of view on it. Yeah, no, exactly. So first of all, the forgetting is additive for a few reasons. Okay. One you are okay. If you want to fully experience being the human, you got to be the human man. You know, if you want to be Zelda, you got to be Zelda. You can't be Contra. Contra is not in Zelda. There's no Contra in Zelda. There's just Zelda in Zelda, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you want to be the human in your story, then you need to surrender and let go of 
everything else to be fully immersed in your human perspective. That full immersion is precisely where the value is. So it actually adds perspective value when you can forget everything else and only have the perspective of being Alex or whoever is listening today. And then it's also additive because like you said, you are basically free from, uh, so, okay. So we do have qualities that we carry from life to life because we are the same soul from given life to life, but a given lifetime might develop certain attachments, form associations and ego patterns. And so it can be helpful to let that go. And like the, the root fear, if it's unaddressed, w w could remain from one experience to another. But let's say in one life, you really strongly associate, it, associate with some conservative religious um, you know, affiliation. And let's say you're a terrorist or something. Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you live another life, that whole association is not even there anymore. It's gone. Like You have no memory of that. Now you're still you, but now you get a fresh slate. Now you get to start completely over. You get to you have to learn everything over again. All the language, all the all the patterns of life, everything your parents teach you, everything has to be relearned. But that's not just negative. It's it's like a new, it's like being given a brand new set of cards. <laughs> or starting or the level like over that. again. Start, you're starting the level over again, but without start, even like the, start, without yeah, any like, information about the game. <laughs> right. Well, it's like, well, you do, yeah, you do actually, the soul level, you do have some information. Sure. It's like starting a, a a brand new game so that you can just play that game. And, and that is what playing that game is about. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the most concise way to put that. And the third reason is that being veiled protects us from homesickness mm -hmm. because the, the depth of joy <clears throat> and love and freedom that we really are is oh my gosh, it's breathtakingly deep and vast and huge. And to have recollection of that can be debilitating. Like how are you going to get up and go to work in the morning if you knew, for instance, that you that the sun was in you right mm -hmm. now? You could feel it. Like I say that because in my pre-birth experience, I felt that. I knew the sun was in me. <laughs> the sun is a part. I'm a part of it. I'm a part of the sun. Sounds wild from the human point of view, but from there I could feel it. I just consciously feel it in my body. So imagine if you could feel that in the body of your awareness, how would you go and go to McDonald's and order your coffee? You know, you couldn't. So in that sense, the veil is enabling. And then what's important is like, if you imagine the veil, like locking someone into a position uh, and then you work within that position and you refine. And then when you let the veil off, now you expand back out because you did all this work at a limited place. Like maybe if you wore a 100 pound coat, mm -hmm. you put the coat on. Now you got to walk around for a whole lifetime, this 100 pound coat. You learn how to walk with 100 pounds on you. And then when you take it off, oh, the hundred pounds aren't native to me, but you retain the ability to walk that you develop. You retain the strength. The strength. The strength. Yeah, the strength. Yeah. The strength and the skill that you have. Yeah. A lot of people I've I've heard that analogy a lot of times. Like it's a big thick coat and just like piled on and piled on and piled on. Yeah. It's very dense and it's hard to move. And it's that yeah. kind of world. Well, you obviously know firsthand, have experience of everything you just said would be very difficult to deal with. How do you deal? with the knowledge that you have in this physical experience. Yeah. So I don't consider myself special. Like I said, I'm still very much veiled. 
in my own walk, I really seek to fully accept the limitations that I experience mm. and to meet fear if and when it arises. I've done a lot of that. In fact, this pre-birth memory could only return to me after I processed a lot of fear that I had a post, post-traumatic stress disorder time period after uh, this trauma that occurred on 22, where I really healed a lot of that fear. Um, that was very important for me to do. So, but it's too big to really even do in one lifetime. You know, it's a, it's a very deep process. So I seek to allow whatever is in this moment, whatever that means, and to fully experience life here in whatever way I can. Uh, it is difficult to be this limited. <laughs> and I'm, it can be. <laughs> but, also, but also, I am the one who decides if it's difficult. You know, I, the, the limitations are just limitations. Sure, they may be so extreme. But I seek to allow them and to, um, you know, experience them. I know that sounds vague, perhaps, but that that is what this life is, you know, for me. Uh, I do very much look forward to the, you know, to returning. I'm not saying I'm asking to pass. <laughs> in fact, I'm trying. I'm very careful not to put energy in that direction. I don't want to inadvertently, <laughs> you know, push myself in that direction. I want to fully use this life. Um, if I can, you know, every day. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, but when it's over, it will be wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I just say that. So then with the concept of past lives and that we do this again and again until we work on things, what is karma and what is the idea of karma play into this because a lot of people think karma is like, you know, you hurt somebody now you have to, it's a punishment. You have to deal with it in another life. From my understanding, from talking to different people, it's a choice to, to, to work it out. Like if like I harmed you in this life, Christian, and I do my life review, I'm like, "Ah, man, that's something I got to really work on. You want to, you want to add that extra level of difficulty in the game the next time around so you can work through that so you can continue your evolution. So it's a true choice as opposed to a punishment. Is that how you see it as well? Absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely a choice. So karma is what we could just say cause and effect. Basically you are who you are. That's the simplest way to put karma. You know, if you are a person who is, uh, who's relied on fear and ego and hurt others, then that's who you are. (laughs) And so then when you get to the other side and you see the effect you had on others, it's not that there's this like judgment, like, oh, you, you know, you hurt this person next to you. No, you, you, you see who you are. <laughs> like you, you see very clearly, oh, I hurt that person because I have fear, you see, or because I have not yet integrated the certain kind of experience. You see who you are. And so then out of your own it's your own choice to say, you know, I'd really like to integrate that and grow through that because I see the benefit of doing that. And it's with you. There's like this energetic, because you are who you are, who you are remains with you until you deal with it. So you might say, okay, so you know how we just were talking about how everything is happening in the one now. Mm. Okay. Processing fear happens in the one now too. So let's say that you had an experience when you were four years old and you locked it away because it was so painful. Maybe you were sexually abused. Maybe you were beaten. Maybe it was just something simple like somebody called you a name and you locked, you know, you really latched onto that and lost your sense of self-worth, whatever it is. 
the fear that is the rejected the the, the willingness to the uh, to reject a certain feeling and not process it is still there if you allow in this moment that to arise and you feel it now at whatever age 27 38 91 <laughs> doesn't matter then you are meeting the same energy in the one now even if it was something that seemed to have been too difficult or too big see because we lock things away because they're too big <laughs> this fear is too big this trauma is too big i can't possibly look at that there's no way it's going to destroy me if i look at it that's how it feels that's how it felt with my fear my trauma that i experienced in china i had post-traumatic stress it was so deep it was so terrible i couldn't even look at it it was i had i had disassociated from myself even to escape this this fear that was so big it felt like it would destroy me our fear will not destroy us. We are bigger. We are deeper. The consciousness is deeper than the deepest fear, but we need to be willing to allow it and feel it in this moment. And when we do it in this moment, you see that heals through all the moments. And then you don't have to experience it anymore, actually. So you don't go into it because you're trying to get rid of it. You allow and accept it and fully feel, feel it to heal it, feel it to process it. And when you do that, now you've done that within all the nows, <laughs> you see, including, you. including the other lives that you may be living, you know, that, that moment, that, that very moment when you decide how you meet a difficult vibration is the key. It's very empowering. You know, we, we tend to get overwhelmed by, oh man, I have all these years of sludge. How do I deal with all that? You just meet this moment. This moment has the power. <laughs> It's very, that's a very powerful idea without question. I have to ask you this though, because this is something that I get all the time as well. When you say, you know, oh, you hurt somebody in this life. Well, people will always bring up, well, how about Genghis Khan? He mm -hmm. murdered 6 million, 10 million people or, um, you know, in war or in, you know, that you, you know, mass killers or whatever these kind of there's just extreme versions of calling someone a name, yeah. killing 9 million people. Mm -hmm. two we different draw a line somewhere. We draw there's a line a, somewhere. In between those two things, there's a line. There's a line somewhere. what we tend to. Right. In, in our minds. So you're like, you know, that's why the whole concept of hell and you have to be internally damned. Like you, so what do you, can you explain to everybody how you process as a soul that you were Genghis Khan? Okay. That, so, yeah. 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 So the, first of all, when you process from the other side, you see exactly who you are. Mm -hmm. And even there, wisdom is not automatic. You still have to decide what you're going to do with it. If you caused huge amounts of damage, then that's the person that you were. You're capable of causing huge amounts of damage. You then will decide what to do with that. I think it's very important in the meantime to not draw a huge distinction between levels of fear. And I know that levels of scope, consequence, earthly consequence may vary significantly. But there is not a very significant difference between my fear, your fear, or the fear in Adolf Hitler who led to his ego that killed millions of people. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I know the scope may be extremely different, but fear is fear. Mm -hmm. And our own fear is what we're here to process, not Adolf Hitler's fear. <laughs> right. We need to meet our own fear. We're very quick to look at everybody else now, the ex ex external world, and to judge and to quickly turn a blind eye to our own weakness, our own fear. That's what the ego does. You know, don't look at that. 
Don't look at what your own issues are. That's too hard. It's easier to look out here and regain some power by judging or whatever else. But we're here to meet our own fear and to grow in love in our own way, even if it's very small. When we do that, even with a fear that may not have a huge scope on the outside, we are helping the collective consciousness of humanity to heal. You know, we're giving permission to everybody else in the pond to meet their fear. And that can very much heal the world, not only externally, but in each of us, which is where it starts. You know, consciousness is first. Right. The product of what it decides to do is second. So the from the perspective of the soul, someone like Genghis Khan, it's hard to say from this perspective of the human perspective, but someone like Genghis Khan who who murdered and hurt so many people in his lifetime, he, without him, those souls wouldn't have had the opportunity to experience what they experience is what you're trying to say? Well, for some, for, for some, some who would have for some who would have experienced some challenge that might have been beneficial for them in some way. Sure. However, this is not about, oh, let's go cause some pain because it's beneficial. Right. Yeah. No, uh, please. Yes, please. Know, Everyone not, listening, please. <laughs> that please. is not we're not yeah, saying that. When we choose our context, we are loving beings. We're beings of love. That's what we are. And we seek to express and actualize that through even very difficult context. That's what we mm -hmm. seek to do. Um, now, are we unconditionally loved? Even if we kill a million people, we are. I'm not saying it's okay to kill a million people. We should absolutely, no. that is not the way of love. It's not, the, not what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. But the true justice, see, we want justice. The ego says there must be justice. Show me the justice. The true justice is that even Hitler is loved. It makes me emotional because we live in a world where so many people are hurt and we just want to evoke vengeance on each other. I just watched a near-death experiencer on your channel. I'm sorry, I forget her name. Mm -hmm. she, had, she had been raped and she decided yeah. by her intuitive guidance to not press charges. It was her decision against the person and he found her later in life and said it ate him alive and he ended up becoming a, a police officer and helping many other people to prevent that kind of a circumstance because she had not gone ahead and brought the justice system down on him you know she made that that decision intuitively i i like cried when i heard that because mm -hmm. she tried to make the loving decision even though she was the victim and our world just hurts for the, even even the perpetrators to be loved love is the answer you know that is the ultimate healing power and when we get to the other side we know it imagine how well how you feel if you know you hurt a thousand people and you're still loved imagine that we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show right and it, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult minefield we're talking about because we're talking about two different very different perspectives the spiritual perspective versus the physical perspective and I know people listening to this might have difficulties hearing things like this but I understand so, yeah. your point of view I understand your point of view 100% look Jesus said it Buddha said it I mean there's so many spiritual masters who've said you know with you with the first, you know, who has not sinned, throw the first stone and things like that. Like we all go through things, some more extreme than others. Yeah. But let me um, just make one, one quick comment. Please. To that. So love, please. love is love. Love is unconditional love. 
if, if there's a message that is less than that, it's not the ultimate truth. But meanwhile, unconditional love is also very wise. And the mm-hmm. system of karma that exists is with is built within that that wisdom. Mm-hmm. So there is not such a thing. So even though we are simultaneously uncompletely uncondi- or completely unconditionally loved, even though that is true, we never escape who we are. <laughs> there's not one thought. There's not one action that doesn't have its its its. Uh, I don't want to use the word justice, but its balance. Balance is the fully, we are yeah. fully responsible for every single thing we have done, everything. And so there it, I'm just saying that that system of true balance takes place within and is fully transcended by unconditional love and unfathomable wisdom. My friend, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests. Yeah. What is your definition of living a good life? Oh, living a good life. <laughs> Living a life that is in alignment with the love and peace and joy and freedom of our true nature in the physical. What is your definition of God? There are no words that could describe God. <laughs> the the living, loving, conscious, sentient foundation of all being who knows us and the, the ocean. We are drops in the mighty ocean. Uh, I love the Rumi quote, you're not just a drop in the ocean, you are the mighty ocean in the drop. That, Rumi that's, is amazing. That's beautiful. And uh, that ocean is is what we would call God. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? Love. Love is the ultimate purpose of life. And it means so many things. Like we tend to think love means, oh, the romantic love or the puppy dog love or the parental love, love, oh, real life, love, life with a capital L, love with a capital L. And all the things that can mean living in joy and freedom and and just doing it how we can, even here in this cold, airless Mount Everest <laughs> context. And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing, sir? Yeah. Um, so I have a website, awalkinthephysical.com. Uh, the book is available for free on the website. Third link down. It's also on Amazon. And I also recorded the Audible audiobook last December. And um, feel free to reach out to me by email. I get a lot of emails, so I apologize if I can't respond, but I do try to respond to everybody I can. Um, it's a walk in the physical at gmail.com. And uh, do you have any final words for our audience? Yeah, the last thing I'll say is whoever you are listening today, thank you for being human. And you are not just the human story. You are you, like the you that feels like you to you, the free, total, full of life and love and authentic you is who you are. Please don't forget that we get wrapped up in these deep, rich stories. I know it's very intense. Like, you know, we got to go to work and pay the bills and deal with the illnesses and deal with the relationship. I, I know it's rich, but who you are transcends all of that. And there, and then who you really are, there is absolutely nothing to fear. That is just such an important message that we need to share with each other. That I mean, need to, but it's beneficial to share with each other. Christian, I appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your journey with us. And I hope uh, this helps somebody out there listening right now. And thank you for your bravery. And thank you for all the work you're doing for humanity as well, my friend. I appreciate you. Thank you as well, Alex. It's a great honor to be on. Thank you. 
I want to thank Christian so much for coming on the show and sharing his moving story with all of us. Thank you so much, Christian. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 179. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.